I could not believe what I was seeing. I could have filled the back of his head with 556, which is an absolute joke. Well, it's not an ape, because if the Sasquatch was an ape, we would already have one. What are these elusive hominids that stalk the wilderness? Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to the mystery. Welcome to Creek Devil. Tom and I are going to do a new piece. We're going to add to the show uh, sort of a little spin-off from Creek Devil. It's Creek Devil, um, Bigfoot in History. And what we're going to do, these are going to be every Wednesday. What we're going to do is pick some stories from history. And we have, um, when we can, we'll have readings, you know, so that you'll get to hear hear the articles or the story. And then Tom and I will kind of break it down. So what we've chosen for this one is The Six is Wild Man, which happened, uh, or the article was 1904, and the other one is The Chetco Monster, and I think that was, wasn't that 18, I forgot what year it was, Tom, 1897, I think. 1890s, just before I was born, yeah. 1890. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, folks, that's what we're doing midweek. Not going to be not going to be the lengthy shows like we do on the weekends. That's reserved for the weekends. People like that. These are going to be much shorter pieces. Let us know what you think. Uh, so, Tom, let's go ahead and start with the Sixes Wild Man. Yeah, absolutely. Wild Man of the Sixes. 1904, Thompson Flat, Myrtle Point, Southern Coos County, Oregon. Man beasts, often called wild men, were active in a constant harassment to early miners and loggers during the early 1900 turn of the century in the Myrtle Point area south to the Oregon border with California. The following newspaper clipping was sent to me without the newspaper name included. At repeated intervals during the past ten years, thrilling stories have come from the rugged Sixes Mining Company district in Coos County, Oregon, near Myrtle Point, regarding a wild man or a queer and terrible monster which walks erect and which has been seen by scores of miners and prospectors. The appearance again of the wild man of the sixes has thrown some of the miners into a state of excitement and fear. A report says the wild man has been seen three times in a month's period. The first appearance occurred on Thompson's Flat, William Ward and a young man by the name of Burleson were sitting by the fire in their cabin one night when they heard something walking around the cabin, which resembled a man walking, and when it came to the corner of the cabin, it took a hold of the corner and gave the building a vigorous shake and kept up a frightful whistling noise the whole time. This was the same whistling that has so many times warned the venturesome miners of the approach of the hairy man and caused them to flee in abject fear. Mr. Ward walked to the cabin door and could see the monster plainly as it walked away. He took a shot at it with his rifle, but the bullet went wild off its mark. The last appearance of the animal was at Harrison's cabin only a few days ago. Mr. Ward was at the Harrison cabin this time, and again figures in the excitement. About 5 o'clock a.m., the wild man gave the door of the cabin a vigorous shaking, which aroused Ward and one of the Harrison boys, who took their guns and went to do the intruder in. 
Ward fired at the hairy man, and he answered by sending a four-pound rock at Ward's head, but his aim was a little too high to the gratefulness of Ward. Then the hairy thing disappeared into the brush. Many of the miners avowed that the wild man is a reality. They have seen him and know whereof they speak. They say he is something after the fashion of a gorilla, and unlike anything else that has ever been known. And not only that, but he can throw rocks with wonderful force and accuracy. The wild man is about seven feet high, has broad hands and feet, and his body is covered by a prolific growth of hair. In short, he looks like the very devil. So this is the one, and this is, I want to make sure I've got this correct here, because they're both in the same area. Yeah, right? that's why we chose both of them, because they were kind of close to one another. Yeah, so this creature uh, is down in southern Oregon, southern Coos County. My backyard, I've, I've spent, I don't know, hundreds of hours down there. Mid-19th, uh, you know, turn of the century, Myrtle Point area, south of Oregon, border with California. And these guys encounter these things. And here's here's the two points that really caught my attention is the behavior is the same. It, whether it was 1904 or whether it's 2021 and the location is the same now how fascinating is that they they didn't go anywhere as long as there's no concrete and glass encroachment they're still going to be there you know looking at the article it's interesting some of the points <clears throat> they make the first one um they talk about at repeated intervals over the past 10 years that thrilling stories have come from the rugged Sixes Mining Company District in Coos County, Oregon, Myrtle Point. Um, now, that's something we know about these creatures' behavior, is there will be a repeated pattern uh, over a time period in an area. But then we go down to, um, you know, some of these more other interesting pieces. Um, let's see where are we at here. There was, okay, the first one. Now, we've heard these things recently. Now, this was 1904 that this article was put out so when we talk about these things happening over time and geography and there's this um, consistency in behaviors over this time and, and this range of geography th this story uh, really highlights that because they talk about things like there was a um, uh, William Ward and a young man by the name of Burleson were sitting by a fire in their cabin one night when they heard something walking around the cabin, which resembled a man, and when it came over to the corner of the cabin, took hold of the corner and gave the building a vigorous shake uh, and kept up a frightful whistling noise the whole time. So there's there's several elements there. One element is, and how many times we heard this, where people have heard, whether it's in tents or in their houses or where have you, you know, this bipedal walking outside. Then the next point, it shook the structure. And the third point is the whistling noise. What, what are All your of those. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Every one of those, uh, and I really zoomed or zoomed zeroed in on that. Especially, I mean, all of them are, are stuff we've heard before, but particularly of interest to me was the whistling because that was the very first encounter I had. And I'll tell you that whistling is is what I heard was right up there with the the volume of a car horn. You know, 20 feet away. It's yeah. like... Um, now, now, it's interesting here, too. They, he also mentions that they didn't just hear this and and surmise what it was. 
said Mr. Ward walked to the cabin door and could see the monster plainly as it walked away. He took a shot at it with his rifle, but the bullet went wild of its mark, so he didn't hit it. Um, so he knew it. They knew exactly what it was doing. This they saw it. it wasn't just conjecture. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's a key point. Uh, he said he, the hairy thing disappeared into the brush, and many of the miners allowed that the wild man is a reality. So right. they're in the same position so many people are today. Is like, well, of course they are because and, it's and apparently. The, the miners in the area were all aware of this because it says this was the same whistling that has so many times warned the venturesome miners of the approach of the hairy man and comes, caused them to flee in abject fear. So they all, this must have been circulating amongst all of this, this group of people in that area. You know, there's another interesting, just kind of a little side note here. They said it, it looks like the very devil. And think about the... Um, medieval depictions of the woodwows and and the devil it was synonymous exactly. why did they do that yeah absolutely when did and they come up with that here's another here's another point we had the three points before you know the walking around the structure it's shaking the structure and the whistling this is the fourth one and this is another common feature we hear it says when ward fired at the hairy man he answered by sending a four pound rock at ward's head his aim was a little high uh, or a little too high for the great to the gratefulness of Ward. So again, walking around a structure of some kind, shaking it, whistling, and then throwing things. These are all features that we hear over and over and over again over all the time in the history of the subject. And this was back in 1904. Right, right. Before the internet, before mass media before there was any kind of common, any knowledge of these things. Um, and just a couple of years before my birthday. So, you know, this really is. Uh... <laughs> it's interesting. And I remember now 1904, now they, you know, gorillas were known. I don't think they were, I don't think they were uh, scientifically recognized until just a couple of years after this, but they were known, you know, at that time. So, uh, or it could be the person that wrote the article. I'm not sure. It says they say something after the fashion of a gorilla and unlike anything else has ever been known. And not only that, but he can throw rocks at with wonderful force and accuracy. But fortunately for Ward, he wasn't too accurate at that time. Uh, and they talk about the wild man being is about seven feet high, has broad hands and feet, and his body is covered by prolific prolific growth of hair. And in short, he looks like the very devil. And I like the the verbiage "wonderful." That had a different meaning than it does today it did and and it was terminology in that time period they used you know meaning meaning you know wonder not wonderful but it was a i guess you know a description of it was more perfect or you know it was a kind of a positive connotation yeah well, well think about the literal word wonder and then full so it was full of wonder i suppose i don't know i'm not a linguist but i'm i'm guessing that's kind of how, how what it meant is that it was yeah like you said very perfect so then we move on to the Chetco monster, which is, again, it's in that same region. The Chetco County, Oregon Monster. 1890, the Chetco Monster, sometimes called the Chetco Indian Devil. Location is about 60 miles north of Willow Creek, California, and approximately 6 miles north of the Cal-Oregon border. The mining operation was a small one, 
employing a dozen men whose families lived in tents alongside the river. For several weeks, nothing unusual happened. Occasionally, garbage cans were overturned at night by marauding bears. Sometimes the beasts were so troublesome that an armed guard stood by while the loggers felled the big trees. At the campsite, mothers watched their young children closely and forbade older boys and girls to play hide-and-seek in the forest. Even when they swam in the shallow river, an adult kept a sharp lookout for bears. Then, one morning, enormously large human footprints were discovered along the riverbanks. The loggers laughingly accused one another of having feet as big as chopping blocks. Everyone, from the oldest to the youngest in camp, measured his footprints against those of the unknown visitor. Since no one's feet were that large, one question was bandied about repeatedly. If those weren't a bear's tracks, whose were they? Someone said there was a wild man living way up the river. He was an irritable old devil who threatened to shoot anyone who approached his cabin. No matter how bad the weather was, he never wore a hat or boots. He was always bareheaded and barefooted. Barefooted? Then the tracks were his. With the mystery of the tracks happily solved, the people promptly forgot them. But several nights later, the sound of eerie whistling and angry shrieks wakened them. In every tent, men bounded out of bed and grabbed their guns, assuming there was a wounded bear nearby. No one lighted a lamp for fear of attracting the beast, and frightened children were warned not to cry. The spine-chilling noises went on and on. Sometimes they seemed close by, other times from the direction of the road or the river. But finally the sounds faded into the distance, and quiet returned to the dark campsite. At daybreak, the men gathered to talk. They debated whether it was a bear or mountain lion. To satisfy themselves and ease their family's worries, a half-dozen men searched about for bear or mountain lion tracks. They found no mountain lion spore at all, and no fresh bear tracks. However, at the edge of the clearing, beyond the first stand of trees and dense undergrowth, they came upon more of the giant-sized human footprints. The men debated whether it was the old recluse. They agreed they had to catch the demented man before he killed someone. So, as quietly as possible, the search party backtracked along the line of footprints. These led them out to the road several hundred yards above the camp and up the road to the logging site. Here they found where the wild man had emerged from the forest into the open area and had prowled around tree stumps, piles of bushes, and the machinery used in loading the logs onto wagons. Then the men had a nasty shock. Massive, unwieldy tree limbs, far too heavy for one man to handle, had been pulled out of the tangled waste piles and either tossed aside like matchsticks or used to beat on the machinery. The searchers followed the tracks back down the road into the forest. For the first time, they noticed shrubs torn to pieces and saplings uprooted and whacked to shreds. This explained the thudding and snapping sounds heard during the night. The footprints circled the camp, went down the well-beaten path to the river, turning back to the road, went down at a half mile and turned off into the forest. The men pressed on as far as they dared. However, when the tracks plunged down into a steep ravine, they stopped. The gloomy depths provided too many hiding places for a demented killer. The Chetco Indians believed there were man-animals in the woods, the logger informed his friends. 
He had heard the story from a white man whom the Indians trusted enough to take into their confidence. They claimed that for generations they had shared their hunting grounds with fierce-looking hairy creatures that walked upright like men. The strange beings were not human nor animal, neither friendly nor hostile. They were simply there, like every other man or wild creature, so the Indians left them alone. But very late on the third night, the frightening sounds were once again heard faintly from off in the woods. People jerked upright in bed. As the whistling and screaming grew louder in every tent, men pulled on their trousers and boots and readied their guns. Obviously, the night howler was coming closer and closer. When he seemed only fifty feet away, one man took desperate action, hastily fashioning a torch of oily rags and kindling he set fire to it. Torch in one hand and rifle in the other, he raced into the woods. Meantime, the man's wife called for help. Within minutes, several men stumbled toward her in the darkness. They groaned when they learned that their comrade had gone into the woods alone. None hesitated to follow, but minutes passed while one dashed off to fetch a lantern and others supplied themselves with extra cartridges. Finally, the party headed into the forest in the direction from which the awful sounds were heard. They had covered only a short distance when the whistling and shrieking stopped. The men halted and listened. There was a long silence. Then an outburst of bestial yowling followed by human screams. Thinking their friend was being attacked, the men fought through the undergrowth, the man with the lantern in the lead. Moments later, their comrade appeared and collapsed in their arms. At first, he was too terrified to speak. His companions fired their guns to drive off the howler and then waited patiently for the poor man to gasp out the details. He said that by torchlight he had followed the line of giant-sized footprints and suddenly came upon a huge creature covered with hair. A bear? No, an ape, a monstrous ape, seven or eight feet tall, two axe handles wide across the shoulders. One axe handle measures 25 inches in length, equaling 50-inch wide shoulders or approximates. With beady yellow eyes and bared teeth, the torchlight must have blinded it because it stood stock still, one hand shading its eyes. Then it let out a tremendous roar. The man hurled his torch into its face, but instead of shooting at it, the frightened man ran screaming toward camp. While his companions did not doubt his word, they asked anxiously if he was sure the beast was an ape. Yes, he was positive. It really looked like an ape? Yes, an ape. Did it have fangs? You bet. Claws? The man said sarcastically that he hadn't stayed around long enough to study the brute. But after thinking it over, he said it had hands like a man, only twice as large, and covered with hair right down to the fingernails. After that, they all decided to return to camp. After much discussion, the loggers agreed to take turns standing guard day and night until the ape was captured or shot. Two men would patrol the campsite on two-hour watches while the rest worked or slept. Since women present knew how to handle a gun, their assistance during the daylight hours was welcomed. The older boys and girls offered to gather firewood so that large fires could be kept blazing all night. Nothing unusual happened during the day or the early night hours. But the two whose turn came about 2 a.m. asked the men they were to relieve to stand by. They wanted to slip into the woods and really search for the ape. Reluctantly, the one patrol agreed to stand by while their relief party set out on their ape hunt. The hunters carried a small lantern because without some light they could not follow any tracks. But they were careful to keep the light at ground level. Their rifles were loaded, and the safety catches thumbed back. Not long after, 
they came upon bits of charred cloth amidst a welter of huge footprints. This must be where their friend had thrown his torch. Yes, there were his boot marks. After examining the area closely, they found where the ape had turned deeper into the forest instead of backtracking to the road. They followed gingerly, step by step, over and around ferns, shrubs, outcroppings, and rocks, and massive tree trunks. What happened next could only be guessed. Apparently, the ape-like creature loomed before them. One man started shooting while the other put down the lantern and shot too. The patrol on guard at the campsite heard the volley of shots. They pounded each other happily. The hunters had killed the beast. But then they listened in mounting horror to frantic cries for help, which were drowned out by horrendous shrieks and roaring. The awful noises continued for some moments and then faded out. The silence was even more frightening to the guards. They shouted for help and soon were surrounded by armed loggers and their wives. After a hasty explanation, all the men plunged into the woods, leaving the women to build up the fires and protect the children. The searchers shouted, swung lanterns, and fired their guns so that their friends would know help was on the way. After advancing some distance, they stopped briefly and called to them. When neither responded, they fired shots. No answering shots were heard. Once more, the party advanced. Before long, they came upon a gruesome sight. Their friends were dead. Judging from bloodstains, their bodies had been slammed against tree trunks and torn to pieces. A trail of blood-smeared footprints led off into the forest. The beast obviously had been wounded, but no man present was willing to track it through the dark forest. Some did volunteer to gather up the remains of their unfortunate comrades, while others returned to camp for blankets and to break the sad news. Within 24 hours, the campsite was deserted. The logging operation was moved to another location. A professional hunter with trained hounds was hired to assist hunters in tracking down the savage beast. It was never captured, nor its voice ever heard again. The most people could hope for was that it had crawled into a well-hidden lair and died. This was 1890, and uh, this is sometimes called the Chetco Indian Devil. Location is about 60 miles north of Willow Creek, California. Uh, and approximately six miles north of the California-Oregon border. So, and remember, you know, what's important about that area, that region, is that DeHinden told me that, you know, the Patterson Sasquatch, the last time its tracks were found, was around the California-Oregon border in 1980. So, there seems to be some movement, you know, back and forth in that region. Absolutely. And really, let's, uh, I mean, that's the area that, that's kind of ground zero for modern Bigfoot lore, where it really hit the mass media, and that's what got you know Patterson-Gimlin started and all that. I guess so it's important to note that it's not just that area. Um, you know, it's it, or not just that time period. You know, everybody thinks well the 1960s, but it, it far predates that. I mean, they knew about this stuff back in 1890, and I'm sure much you know previous to that also. Yeah, we have a guy that's on our team who he and I had a chat about this, and he was talking about the uh, Southern Oregon. There's a tribe down there called the Rogue Indians, and they're actually named by the French. I can't pronounce the actual indigenous name, but regardless, they drove the creatures out. They, they had encounters with them long, long, long before, I mean, you know, going back millennia. 
And at one point, it got so fierce that they actually drove the creatures from, I, I want to say around four or 500 foot elevation, which is where they lived, the, the Indians, drove them up to a 5,000 foot elevation and basically established a boundary. You don't cross the boundary. We don't cross it. We'll be fine. Right, right. So this is an interesting story. I mean, it contains a lot of the same elements, you know, that we discussed with the uh, Sixes Wild Man. Um, you know, it started out with these people finding footprints. And I, I'm trying to think. These guys were out. It was a mining operation. And they had, uh, said, employing a dozen men whose families also lived in tents alongside the river. And they'd be there for several weeks at a shot. Now, they talk about garbage cans were overturned at night by marauding bears, which is true. Bears will do that. Um, but they also had armed guards standing by where the loggers, oh, they said, okay, let me back up a little bit. So sometimes beasts were so troublesome that armed guards stood by while the loggers felled big trees. Um, you know, it's interesting, that region, I, I'm not sure that bears would have been such an issue. I, I don't know. I mean, that time period, maybe their behavior was different. But they started finding these big footprints. And, and they thought they were bear at first. But they said... You uh, know, what else are they going to think? I mean... Yeah, so they would they would measure the footprints against their own. And, of course, they were much larger. They don't say how large, but... Right, exactly. And so, I, and think about it. This is what you said time and again. It's outside of your frame of reference. They're looking at these footprints and they're like, okay, well, what else would it be? Right. Well, it's got to be a giant bear. So they talked about um, several men, or half dozen men, searched the area for bear and mountain lion tracks. They found no mountain lion spore and, and at all and no fresh bear tracks. Um, it says, however, at the edge of the clearing beyond the first stand of trees and dense undergrowth, they came upon more of the giant human-sized footprints. And then they debated whether it was an old recluse. Well, now that takes me back to, you know, my dad talking about you know, the rock quarry monster incident and, and blaming it on some old hermit that supposedly lived up in the area. Well, I never saw any old hermit up there. I was, you know, a kid all over those woods. Never saw anybody else up there. Yeah, and that old hermit isn't, uh, you know, that one kid that came to your house on his bicycle terrified of the rock quarry monster. Right. So that I'm just going to kind of divert go off in a different direction here for just a second from this story. So think about it up in your neck of the woods where you grew up as a kid. Why did they have stories of an old hermit and a rock quarry monster? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting some of the details in these stories. This is one part where um, <clears throat> they were doing their searches. They, they backtracked the line of tracks, the footprints, led them out onto a road several hundred yards above the camp, up a road to the logging site. Here they found the wild man had emerged from the forest under the open area and had prowled among the tree stumps, piles of bushes, and the machinery used to load, uh, load the logs onto the wagons. Now, that was very similar to what happened in the Bluff Creek area, you know, with the creatures coming around on the dozers and circling and all that kind of stuff, you know, and then throwing, you know, pieces of equipment, drums of fuel, things like that. Um... Said the men had a nasty shock. Massive, unwieldy tree limbs, far too heavy for one man to handle, had been pulled out of the tangled waste piles 
and either tossed aside like matchsticks or used to beat on the machinery. <laughs> I love that. That's, now, who did that? That's interesting. You know, I've heard I've heard similar stories to that. You know, where where uh, logging machinery had been destroyed or or messed with, and not by people. And what does the next paragraph say? It says. For the first time, they noticed shrubs torn to pieces and saplings uprooted and whacked to shreds. Right. And we saw that just a couple months ago. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And not really all that far from this area. No. No, not at all. So, again, it, it, it really just goes back to the, the repeating patterns. Just what I like <laughs> about, I find so fascinating about historic accounts of the creatures. And you look for these little details that says, are the same detail. The story could have been written last month. Yeah, it says this explained the thudding and snapping sounds heard during the night. The footprints circled the camp, went down the well-beaten path to the river, turning back to the road. Went down at half a mile and turned off into the forest. Apparently they were afraid to follow the tracks too far. Right? <laughs> well, I mean... They says the Chetco Indians believed there were man animals in the woods. Um, you know, of course, they knew these things. Yes. Then he, yeah. then, he, then he talked about towards the end of the article, um, very late one, or, but very late on the third night, the frightening sounds were often. Now, I guess it must have been whistling or some kind of vocals it was making. I, maybe I missed that part, but um, says the men. Pulled on their boots and trousers, ready their guns, obviously. The night howler. Okay, the night howler. So it was it was making noises, vocalizing. When he, when he seemed 50 feet away, that's pretty close. The men took desperate action, hastily fashioning torch of oily rags and kindling to set it on fire. Good plan. Burn the thing. <laughs> torch in one hand, rifle in the other. He raced off into the woods, one of these guys. Then there was another man who went after him. So two men went after this thing. Um... Well, look at this. It answered by sending a four-pound rocket Ward's head. <laughs> no, that was the other story. Oh, okay. That's okay. a six as wild man. Gotcha. I'm in the same area, just wrong story. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was a, yeah, the man's wife was calling for help. Within minutes, several men stumbled towards their, uh, them in the darkness, and they they went to found the, find the guy, or two guys. I don't know if it was one guy. I think it was two guys. They talked about, um, sorry, folks, forest direction, which awful sounds were heard. They covered only a short distance when the whistling and shrieking stopped. The men halted and listened. There was a long silence, then an outburst of a bestial yowling, followed by human screams. Thinking the friend was being attacked, the men fought through the undergrowth. Uh, the man with the lantern in the lead. <clears throat> Moments later, their comrade appeared and collapsed in their arms. At first, he was too terrified to speak. His companions fired their guns to drive off the howler, then waited patiently for the poor man to gasp out the details. He said that by torchlight, he had followed a line of giant-sized footprints, suddenly came upon the huge, uh, huge creature covered with hair. He says, a bear, no, an ape, a monstrous ape, seven or eight feet tall, two axe handles wide across the shoulders. And what's an axe handle? Um, about three feet long? Yeah. Probably in that time frame. Right. Oh, he says right here, the axe handle measured 25 inches in length, so 50 inches. The, those shoulders were approximately 50 inches wide. So, which sounds a little better than four feet, yeah. 
which is what I saw. I would have estimated probably four to five feet across. Yeah. It had beady yellow eyes and bared teeth. Bared teeth, that's the lip flip that our anthropologist <laughs> John talks about. All the way back in 1890, they were talking about a lip flip. So that was that was a warning. Uh, Torchlight must have blinded it. It stood stock still, uh, one hand shading its eyes. Then it let out a tremendous roar. The man hurled his torch into his face, but instead of shooting at it, the frightened man ran screaming towards the camp. Uh, well. Oh, now this is interesting too. It says, while his companions did not doubt his word, they asked anxiously if he was sure the beast was an ape. Yes, he was positive. It really looked like an ape? Yes, an ape. Did it have fangs? He says, you bet. Um, see, that indicates to me maybe it was one of the different types uh, because the ones that have the pronounced canines are, are this type 2 creature. And they do, they do overlap areas, so it is possible. Um, he says they asked, did it have claws? The man said sarcastically that he hadn't stayed around long enough to study the brute. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I had to bend the hell out of there. But after thinking, he said it hands like a man, only twice as large and covered with hair right down to the fingernails. Um, so that's another interesting detail. Well, let me ask you this. If it's a type 2 and it's down in that area, and we know that down in that area there's some very aggressive oh, uh, yeah. creatures down there. Is that indicative of a type 2? Are they more aggressive than the type 1s? Absolutely. So that's kind, of end, that's kind of the end of that article. Um, well, folks, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, Tom, what's your, what's your input? It's an excellent place to go camping, solo camping. I <laughs> highly recommend it. <laughs> well, folks, this is the kind of thing we're going to do midweek. And, uh, and of course, it'll probably evolve over time. Let us know what you think. And, uh, Tom, any final thoughts before we close this out? No, I just, I think this is an excellent addition to the program. And we're going to continue this, uh, you know. It may evolve a little bit over time. Uh, we may offer different stories, maybe some more modern ones, but, yeah. Yeah, and these, will, these aren't going to be as long as our weekend show. The weekend show is going to stay a three-hour show. Uh, because we get a lot of people who like that, but there are also a few people who like the shorter pieces. So we figure this one will be anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. It kind of depends on what we're discussing. So uh, send us some feedback. Tom, you want to uh, give the contact info and maybe maybe plug um, um, the Patreon page? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can reach us, questions at creekdevil.com. And uh, feedback, questions, anything you want, just uh, shoot us an email. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Patreon page is Patreon forward slash Creek Double, and there's a link in the description. And your uh, your support is greatly appreciated. All right, great job. Well, thanks, folks, and uh, you know we hope you like this little midweek piece. And you know if you have suggestions, something you'd like done differently, or you'd like to hear about, let us know. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.